everybody. This is your host, Aram Al-Kumuf. When you're listening to the Product Innovation Show, every week, the guests that we have on our show share their stories and wisdom on how to ship a great product. Jean Lebourmont, I hope I said that correctly, is the co-founder, CTO, and CPO at Brigade. Uh, he studied at the European, European Institute of Innovation Technology and University of California. He's a real technical expert who is doing both CPO and CTO roles at the same time at his company. Jean, pleasure to have you here. Thank you for coming on. Hello, and thank you very much for inviting me on this podcast. Awesome. So first question, it's not, I mean, it's not common. I come across people who do both roles successfully, might I add. So maybe let's start off with that as my first question. CTO versus CPO, Chief Technology Officer versus Chief Product Officer. What's the dynamic between these two types of roles and why do you need both? Well, you know, when you when you build a product in a startup technology, um, you know, tech company, sorry, um, I mean, you know, you it requires product to know what, what you're going to offer to you to your users, like what is your service. Um, and the tech, you know, it, you know, like the tech is like how you're going to build your actual product. Um, so you need both um, to, to have a full picture. Um, and, you know, at the very beginning of a company that doesn't require like very research and development, uh, let's say phase, uh, it does make sense because you have a full picture of when you want to do something, uh, what the cost of it and uh, how, you know, is it hard to do it? Uh, is it long? Is it difficult? And based on the product vision you will start to shape, you will be able to know what are the uh, uh, technical requirements of it and, and to make the um, very early decisions that will pave the way of the future of tech of your, of your company. So for Brigade, which is a platform uh, to, to match uh, freelancers and, and companies and businesses uh, in hospitality and healthcare industries for short uh, to medium term uh, missions, uh, it made sense uh, because we, we are a tech company where you know, all the service go through technology and through our products uh, and all the operations are scaling uh, through the tech as well. Uh, so we are definitely a, a, a tech company at, at heart, uh, but it didn't mean that uh, we had to go into extensive uh, research and development, and development for years, uh, like you could have done if you're like Algolia, for instance. Um, so it really makes sense that, you know, like the, uh, the, the two positions will be filled by, by a single person. Um, and it was quite well for, for five years and a half. Um, Brigade is six years old. And, um, you know, six months ago, I decided to split the two roles, actually, and, and to be fully on the, uh, on the product side. Uh, it made sense because, you know, company um, grew up a lot. We did a massive refactoring uh, during uh, the COVID crisis where actually restaurants um, were um, closed yeah. <laughs> and so most of our business was shut down. So it made sense for us to really like, uh, okay, uh, let's focus on the foundation of the product uh, instead of the product roadmap. And it just, you know, made a, a significant upgrade of the uh, technical stack and architecture. Uh, so we are really like paving uh, the way of the future growth and making, you know, like the tech being the enabler of it. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, after this massive refactoring where we came from 2 million uh, line of codes to 500K, um, it, I mean, it was a good time for me to, to split uh, the role because, you know, tech parts is going more into a, uh, uh, for instance, data engineering, um, not only for the product, but for the ops as well, for the sales and so on. Um, and, you know, like it, 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 it's going a bit, you know, like 
less close from the product, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, so it's difficult as well. You, you're scaling the product team. We are, we are almost 10 in the product team right now. Um, so it's difficult to keep, you know, the same vision on both sides that are getting a bit like of a distance between each other. Um, so yeah, this is where I, I didn't want to be either like far from the tech, far from the product, but keeping two positions. So it made sense for me at this point to, to actually uh, speed both. Okay. And just out of curiosity, uh, I mean, I know you're a smaller team and you said that you were able to achieve, achieve, uh, you know, managing both roles, uh, through the last five and a half years, but were there ever times where you felt like if you were objectively looking at like what a CTO or a CPO would maybe fight each other on, did you ever had to like conflict on yourself in terms yeah. of decisions to be made? Yeah, well, you know, on top of being CPU and CTO, I was, you know, one of the two founders. And, and, you know, when you think about, uh, I mean, when you're a CPU and CTO in your startup or it's a startup, um, first you just think at the, at the company, um, you know, overall at the company and, and what the company needs to do in order to be successful. Uh, so, of course, you, some, you, you know, like it might be struggling sometimes when you have to make some trade-off, uh, especially, you know, when you have to invest a bit of time on some technical refactorings uh, versus uh, moving forward on your on your product roadmap. So at the end, you know, it's always, you know, finding the, the right, uh, we'll say, sweet spot uh, between, you know, like uh, investing time and effort on the tank and, and, and moving forward on the business side. Um, and I mean, you try to, to do the, the best decision based on, on the parameters you have and based on the budget you have and, and, and a lot of other uh, stuff, but yeah, he, I mean, you know, like he, he, it's constant trade-off, constant trade-off, uh, at least, you know, I don't have to, to, to debate and to, to spend a lot of time uh, to speak to somebody and to try to convince somebody, uh, I do it by myself, <laughs> I used to do it by myself, you know, we are too. Um, so yeah, he, he, I mean, uh, it doesn't reduce the struggle, but he, he, you, you just get faster to a decision. Yeah. And, um, you were able to do this in this type of role, maybe it was tight, maybe it was possible because of like the industry you're in, but just off the top of your head, are there any products in, uh, adjacent or like not in your industry that you think that that can't be achieved? Or do you think it can be achieved just as long as the size of the team is small enough to maintain it? No, I think if you are, uh, you know, very much like um, a deep tech company, you know, like you, you take is very much about something that hasn't been done yet. Uh, you really have, you need to have like a CTO that is 100% uh, focused on the tech because this is like, you know the, the core foundation of the of the company, mm -hmm. um, and I believe you know you you can't be so much into something uh, disruptive and and managing the project at the same time. So I think it, it's good you can do this when your 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 tech is actually focused on how to implement the product in the best way possible, mm -hmm. uh, because it's very closely linked and it makes sense until a certain stage that we reach with Brigade. Uh, but you know it's not something I would advise for for any company. Plus it really depends on who is CTO of the company, because some CTO are very much tech oriented. Some others uh, like me are more like uh, business oriented, let's say, even if you have a strong uh, technical back background. Um, and, you know, like not all CTO could be a product and, and, and the opposite is true as well. So I think it, it's a matter of what your business is about. Uh, how do you feel, uh, you know, in terms of vibe? Um, 
what are your skills and what do you like to do? Because at the end, you know, you, you, you don't need trucks if you don't want to make those choices as well. Uh, so it's a bit of everything. And so how has, have you found a CTO yet in the last six months? Or yeah. Years? So actually, um, it was quite easy for me because four years ago, I hired the head of engineering. Uh, that was the first manager of the technical team when we started to scale and started to have my first product managers as well. Uh, then it became like, I think two years ago, like or even a bit, a bit more than like two years and a half ago, something, uh, 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 VP of engineering, uh, and he managed on top of the uh, tech team, but the QA, um, and the QA, and uh, that was a, a, a good step for him. Um, and then, you know, like it, it really made sense uh, um, that he, he took over like the CTO role, uh, and he did this like uh, during the last winter. Cool. Well, congratulations. It's uh, that seems yeah, like yeah. an easy path uh, you went through. If you want a funny story about that, um, actually, when I started Brigade with my, my co-founder, um, I was uh, finishing my master degree. And Brigade was actually my last, uh, you know, like my final internship, you know, the last six months of your master degree. And, and so you have to go through a jury to validate the fact that the company you're building is a bullshit and you're not going to, uh, you know, like to Thailand for six months. <laughs> okay. um, and, 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 you know, like my, you know, then head of engineering used to be like the director of the master degree of, of my, uh, of my engineering school. And he was, you know, like the boss of the jury uh, to decide if yes or no, my company is legit uh, and, and I have a legit uh, in, uh, final internship. And, uh, and, you know, we already knew a bit of each other. And, and after my master's degree, we started to have a friendly relationship. And one day I told him like, okay, company is going well. We just, you know, uh, raised some funds and we're hiring. Um, you know, I'm managing like pretty much like 10 people right now, mm-hmm. but I can't be that much focused into management. So I'm looking for a head of uh, that to take over like the day-to-day operation and, uh, and the management of the team. I say, well, I'm basically looking for somebody that has your age, your background, uh, your skills, no, no, no. <laughs> and he told me, um, well, I am interested. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so no, we oh, <laughs> started. Yeah. And the funny thing is most of the team came from the same school uh, and got him as a, as a head of master degrees. So when I told them like uh, Brieux, his name is Brieux, we must probably uh, be joining us. Everybody was super, uh, you know, super happy about that because he, you know, like people like him a lot as a, uh, as a student. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, this is a funny story. And so we, we built together a very long relationship, uh, working relationship. And so it really made sense uh, for everybody, for him, for, for me and from the company that he, you know, like turned to be you know, as a CTO. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't know many people who hire their own, their professors or like their, <laughs> their teachers before. Yeah. So in their company. So that's amazing. Uh, Congrats. Uh, looks like a great fit. Um, the next question I have, uh, Jean is, um, well, you and I both know that, um, sometimes when building a product, unfortunately, some steps in product development get skipped for various reasons. Um, in many companies that I work with that you've, you, you know, you've come across and like one of them could be that you're not bringing in devs into the loop or the conversation quickly enough. Uh, and so like, I think in your sense, being a CTO and CPO, like, um, product roadmap, you know, dictates kind of where you're, you're, you're building a product and where you're going to, but sometimes, unfortunately in some companies, 
um, product managers or the CPO doesn't bring in developers early enough in that process. So I wanted to ask, why, why do you think this happens? Yeah, well, um, that's a, a real good point. And you always have to be aware of uh, when is the right time to bring like developers into the conversation and, and QA as well. Um, because you can't bring them in all the discussions because otherwise they, they will spend all the time in meetings and not being actually developing the feature and the product. So you have to find like the, the right momentum for them to enter in the discussion. Um, and I think, to be honest, um, I mean, we, we try to, the way we do it at Brigade is basically like product managers, they build roadmap over two things, uh, OKRs that are like, you know, like defined every six months and a product strategy that is completely user-centric and that is defined uh, for, for, for every year, you know, like basically every year, right? Like, you know, like on, I would like the user to experience na -na -na, uh, by the end of, of, of next year. Um, and so then, you know, like each uh, product manager is going to build his own roadmap, uh, you know, getting like how to tackle those two uh, objectives, let's say, OKR that are very much business-oriented objectives and the product strategy, which is user-centric. Um, and then I will validate with them uh, their plan, their roadmap, um, you know, kind of initiatives they want to, to pursue. Uh, and as soon as we have a, a definite list of uh, what is going to happen in terms of focuses, not features, but focuses and initiatives uh, to carry on uh, during the semester, we involve the tech team to say, okay, these are, you know, everything you need to know, objectives, product strategy, um, and, and the list of initiatives, we believe that we'll both implement the product strategy and reach the business objectives uh, that we have in the OKRs. And so you're really like giving them all the, um, the, the same kind of information that you, you, you gave to the product team, but at a later stage. And then, you know, we, we are really like working together to build a solution because the tech will be most, you know, like very, very often the tech will uh, give actually very good uh, solution because first, uh, based on the uh, technology we'll use, especially on the front end as well, and based on the architecture of the back end, they might come with ideas like actually we could do like this it would be super easy and it will work just fine for the users and on top of that they are using the, you know they use a lot of apps and services as well so they can have good idea from uh, other services and app they are using mm -hmm. um so this is why we always try it on the um you know like crafting um you know like uh, uh, moments when you when you have your roadmap uh, to bring them on and, and to make sure we, we we think all together about what should be the solutions we would like to implement. Oh, I'm just curious, can you maybe just explain for the, the listeners, what would you say is the difference between a feature, a focus, or an initiative? Yeah, well, initiatives is like what kind of solution we would like to build that we think that will tackle the, uh, the, the problems. Okay. And then after you will, you know, in an extensive way, be thinking about what should be the solution, you know, like the definite user-facing solution. Uh, and then you have like uh, some wireframing, design, specs, you know, and then you come up with the actual proper feature uh, that needs to be implemented by developers. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, the initiative, it will be like all the, you know, like 
Basically, me, when I speak with project managers, I like to tell them that they build a roadmap, not of features, but of initiatives, because the features will actually be defined with design, tech, product management. Uh, but you know, I don't want you know, like, to come up with, okay, we have OKRs at the beginning of the year, let's say, I have product strategy, and I will build a six-month roadmap in two weeks out of those two. The thing is, when you do this, you skip the research part, which is super important as project managers. Uh, you skip the ideation part that you do as well with the tech team. Mm -hmm. uh, the wireframes, the testing, I mean, you skip all the parts by doing this. So you can be sure that the roadmap you will get out from your head uh, just by looking at the OKRs and the product strategy will make 90% of chance that it will be for, uh, uh, completely wrong. So I like to speak about initiatives. And then after, after the research phase, after, you know, like um, doing some, you know, like trying some stuff, trying, trying some ideas, uh, it can be, you know, like, directly production on the product, or it can be just uh, through wireframes and mockups. Uh, then after you have a, a better idea of what you're going actually to build, and you can speak about doing a feature. Awesome, wow, cool, thanks for explaining that. Um, on the same kind of line, I'm curious to know, we had talked about when to get developers involved. What about QA? Because like, oftentimes I've seen QA get involved way too late in the process. Yeah. Um, how do you do it at, at, at Brigade? Yeah, so me, I, like QA at Brigade is something I, I introduced um, with a proper position and a proper team like uh, three years ago, I would say. Um, so it, it's always something I, I, I put a lot of value into this because for me, it's something that first, you will, of course, have less bugs for your users. But uh, to, in my mind, it actually makes product and tech team work faster and in a better way. Um, and when I first created this small team of two people in the, in the, in the QA uh, team, I put them like right in the middle of product and tech. Because for me, you know, like as soon as you start to have like a proper idea of the feature you're going to build, QA should be involved. So they understand what is the need, what the, what, what the feature, um, what it will look like, what the purpose, what the outcome of the feature. And they have time to then think about like, okay, what should be all the use case that the feature will be covering? And what is the definition of done? So actually it will even help developers to have a better picture of what's need to be built. Uh, and on top of that, uh, they will have time to think about, okay, what are the corner case? What are the side effects? And to make sure that when you actually be on a staging mode and be uh, trying the features, they will have so much learning about, about this, mm -hmm. that they will be able to, to be way better in the job. And they won't be like discovering the feature right before the production and won't be able to, to cover, to cover up like all the, uh, all the scenarios of the feature because they will be, you know, like very, uh, short time. Cool. No, um, I've just seen so many failures when it comes to that. So thanks. Thanks for sharing your points on that. Um, last couple of questions before I get into the fireside chat, uh, fireside questions, but, um, every CPO CTO, I'm sure has come across a situation where they worked on like, you know, their worst product, I have feature idea, uh, that they had to deal with, uh, in their companies. A lot of people don't ever talk about the horror stories of what it is because they're, you know, you're too ashamed to talk about publicly, but me and you had a chance to connect previously. And, um, I think there was one point that I wanted, one thing that you brought up in your story that I wanted to talk about, which was your experience building out, um, 
the availability feature uh, at at Brigad. Um, so maybe tell the audience a little bit what, what the feature was. And then my next question is, um, how soon did you realize that whatever you were working on is not working? Yeah, well, that's uh, that's a good point. Um, so yeah, we, we had at some point to, I mean, so how it works is uh, when businesses create missions on the platform, uh, brigaders that you know have the, the, all the skills required, they receive proposition of missions uh, on the app uh, through a push notification. And uh, and the thing is, you know, like of course, uh, nobody is uh, available like um, every day of the week, and and some people have different schedule. So we introduced a feature uh, so they can put their availabilities uh, to make sure that we won't send them notification of missions when they're actually not available at all. Um, and so, you know, it seemed to be quite basic feature, honestly. So we didn't, you know, like we and and the need. The pressure to 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 release something fast on that was quite high because we got a lot of feedback from users saying like, stop sending me a you know like a, a proposition or a mission. I already say no because I'm not I'm not available and I will never be available on Saturday and Sunday, for instance, because I'm working from Monday to Friday. Let's say, um, and so we we came out with a very you know basic solution. Um, we, we, we did few tests uh, within the company and everybody, you know, like you did just fine. So we were like confident that, you know, the, the level of risk of, of failing uh, <laughs> is quite low <laughs> and obviously didn't happen this way. And so we released the feature and we don't have any feedback from users. So we're like, okay, just fine. You know, it's, it's good. And then at some point we realized that we, we, we start to, re to receive some uh, emails from users saying like, well, uh, Brigade is not working that well right now. I'm not receiving much missions. What's going on? Is it because of COVID? What's going on? Because, you know, it was uh, uh, during the, the COVID pandemic. And uh, and we're like, no, 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 it should be fine. It should be fine. We don't understand. Uh, and then we check how they use this feature. And we see that actually they, they reversed availabilities and unavailabilities. And basically, instead of saying like, I'm not available Saturday, Sunday, they say I'm not available Monday, Friday. And ah. so of course they, they don't get much uh, much missions uh, after that. And actually we, we understood that a significant amount of people uh, actually misunderstood uh, the feature. Um, and, and so we had to, 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 you know, like to really like very, very fast, um, you know, a, a modification on this feature to make it like, um, you know, like people can actually understand it better um and yeah and after we had to make like a, a reactivation campaign saying hey guys uh, maybe uh, you know like uh, we, we upgraded the features uh we just reset the setting of, of the way you were using the feature and actually we had people that were you know using us back like a lot and and because they received less less uh proposition for 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 some period of time uh some even people were just stopping using us you know because they really they, they got like very very few missions and they were like okay we get doesn't work much right now so i would just you know go somewhere else um so yeah that was actually a good reminder of even when you do very basic stuff you always have to you know to take the time to do a proper process to make mm -hmm. sure that uh you're not missing anything and so um having gone to that learning process um what would you have done differently like would you have rolled it out to like a pilot group of users first would you 
done some user research on like what people's understanding is of, of, of availability. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would say a bit of everything, you know, like yeah. uh, trying to mock up with them first to, you know, you, 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 you propose to some of the users uh, just to, to join, to, to, you know, like to join like a, a, meet, uh, a Zoom meeting and, uh, and you show them some screens and you just tell them, okay, like, how do you use those screens? What do you think it does? You know, like, uh, how is it working? And uh, and then you see, <laughs> and I'm sure in 10 minutes we'll have figured out that the solution that we first planned was wrong, but uh, we didn't do this 10 minutes. <laughs> so yeah, I think this is the main thing. And then uh, I will say as well, I think it, it showed as well that uh, on the specific part of the product, uh, the, um, we didn't, you know, like went enough into that analysis because I'm sure we will have seen like some patterns that actually didn't make much sense and has maybe like, okay, maybe we should just call this user, call this person to see like, hey, you know, like uh, mm. you actually got it right or, or what? And uh, and so, you know, I think we we just, you know, like published uh, and released this feature and we just moved on and we're like, it's, you know, like so basic that we don't risk anything. So let's go back on more difficult stuff and we completely missed it. Well, no, it's very interesting. It's such a common thing, right? You think people will get, but it's amazing yeah. what interpretation by one person could be different to another. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing that story, Joe. Um, well, I'm going to jump into these fireside questions. It's four questions. Uh, try to answer it in a, you know, a minute or less. Um, so I'm putting it on the hot seat. All right, ready? <laughs> All right, so the first question <laughs> I have is that a lot of companies don't have very transparent product processes. Why do you think this happens and who needs to fix it and how? Okay. I think people um, are afraid that if they go too much open regarding how they build product features, uh, they might receive too many feedbacks from different team thing. I think the solution should be like that. And I think people try, you know, like, to get away from this problem, like to, 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 you know, like they prefer to stay on their own and not to share much about this, which I believe is a mistake in the end because uh, it's important to listen to what the stakeholders have to say and important to explain them why you made a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but otherwise, you know, the product will feel, I mean, people will feel the product is completely out of the real life of our users and 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 what the, the stakeholders and people on the field, let's say, uh, do feel. So I believe it's very important to keep connection with them. And who do you think would, in an organization, who's responsible for making sure that product processes are, are well, you know, created or maintained? The CPU. CPU, okay, cool. Uh, next question. So there's a lot of pressure to do with what a big customer wants you to do. Um, I'm sure you've maybe come across this. Uh, how do you dig yourself out of these type of situations as a product leader? Me, I will always go back on what's your problem actually. And because, you know, usually when you receive a lot of pressure about something, people will go a lot about like, we should do this. And instead of this is a problem, and so me, I will always like, okay, what is the problem? How often does it uh, occur? What is the real potential of the solution in terms of usage, in terms of is it only for this customer or can, can it be like a global problem for all of our clients? 
Um, so, you know, you really have to go behind the scene a bit of, of this uh, solution that everybody uh, wants to be implemented to understand like what's going on actually. Um, and sometimes you have to say yes, sometimes you have to say no. Um, you know, like I, I, I say no a lot um, and you have to understand when actually it might be a deal breaker and it's not. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, like me, I got directly involved uh, when pressure is high because I really want to, you know, like to, 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 to have a closer look myself and to judge, you know, say like, okay, this seems something we'll definitely work on that or I don't think it's that important or I don't think is is a real problem or I don't think it's something that should be part of a product because it's something very specific for these clients. Uh, but, you know, we are not a SaaS for our marketplace. So luckily it doesn't happen quite often. Uh, it might happen when you work with very large groups and this is the first time you work with very big groups and they might have a bit of different needs because the persona is a bit different. And then, you know, you have to be quite open-minded because you're like, these are, you know, like, new clients, new kind of clients that I didn't have before. And I want to have other clients like that. So maybe I have a very good product market fit for smaller clients. Maybe for them, it's like 80% of it. And I really understand what are the 20% missing. No, it's very interesting. I, 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 I can understand marketplaces being different. Um, it's always a challenge I feel for product managers because they get distracted by like sales. And sales says, mm -hmm. oh, you know, we have these two enterprises. They want this feature. Go build it, you know, so we yeah. could sell and make more money. Um, and yeah, <laughs> it's like common, you know, situation, I think, daily. So it's tough. I think pushing back is also the hardest thing. Um, a lot of product managers don't have the training around to be able to rebuke or like, you know, put some boundaries in place. Um so I think that's something that I think could be trained somehow. I don't know how, but I, I think guess. it's one of the main soft skill I would say of a product manager is, is you know, like you have to explain decisions uh, and, and, and to make people like agree. Uh, I mean, yeah, I kind of agree. I'd say, okay, I understand, like to understand your decision uh, at, at, at least. Um, and I think it's super important because if you're like, not able to find a good way to communicate with sales that are usually very good at communication. They will be undermining the decision that you took, uh, even if they're legit. And then this is how you can start to have like a uh, heated debate and, and, and not a very good relationship between product and sales. Yeah, no, very true. Uh, okay, two more questions, Jean. Um, a lot of people in the industry try to copy the features of their competitors because they've done it it must be working. We should just copy it. Um, so from your perspective, why do you think they do it and not just focus on customers and what should you do instead? Because it's easy, you know, uh, <laughs> it's always easy to copy, uh, what, uh, somebody did. I think, you know, like you, me, I, I, my position on that is, is, you know, like pretty much in the, in the center, um, in the middle, um, of course, you know, copying without even trying to understand uh, what problem you're solving and how the user will be using this feature and so on. It's, it's completely, you know, doesn't make sense at all. Uh, and on the other side, if for everything you have to think from scratch, take a lot of time on the research and the discovery, you won't go, you won't, you won't be going fast enough uh, for the company needs. So you have to make some kind of a trade-off between 
okay, I mean, everybody is doing this uh, and we have the same problem. So we might use this as not to copy, but just think in mind that maybe actually the solution is good and maybe we should have something like similar and some other features. We will be completely against it because it won't be part of the uh, uh, first vision and the company culture. And this is, you know, I find it so, you know, like, amazing to see that when you know like competitors they scale and they start to you know um reach a, a certain level of maturity uh, as companies and as products even like direct competitors they start to have like very different way of approaching some features and some even like uh, yeah core features of your of your value proposition because you can really see like the difference in terms of culture and terms of values as well yeah. And I think it's very interesting. And this is why at some point it's super important to create your product principles uh, because it helps you to scale the product culture among the, the, the product team, the tech team, and even the company. Because even for the sales and the stakeholders, mm. they will understand why we build feature in a certain way because what are the values we are, you know, like uh, 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 we want to have in our products. Actually, I just did this like one month ago. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, because we are at the stage where, and this is how I introduce this to the team. I say I give the same, exactly the same requirement, uh, you know, like product specification to 10 different teams. We will have 10 different products because, you know, each each team will go personal about the way they feel about the project, about the feature, about uh, how, how, you know, how users should uh, use the feature, deal with this problem and so on and so on. And so we have 10 different products at the end. So it's very important that we make the uh, company culture and product culture scale through product principles. So for everybody that is uh, building the products uh, as product manager, that, uh, the developers or, st- or stakeholders, uh, they know how, what is the style, let's say, of the product and how we should be building stuff. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. I'm going to take a note of that. Thank you for sharing. Um, last question is, um, what's your what's your perspective on asking users, like your end users, what to build? Um, how bad, how good of an idea is it? What do you do as a product person instead? Yeah, well, um, that's always, the, I will say, the challenge. Uh, because, you know, like... Um, I don't believe that your users will always be the one finding the best idea to solve their problem. Uh, I think even Henri Ford said something about that, you know, like if I ask people what they wanted, they will have told me like I want faster horses. Uh, I don't know if it's a true thing, but it's, it's it is quite true. a funny answer. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's very important to understand what is our problem. Um, and I think the, 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 the biggest challenge and the most important thing is not to ask them like how they will fix their problem, but what are the real problem? And, you know, you really have to go deep into like the understanding of what, what's the struggle actually. So then you have all the information to start working on different solutions and then to present those solutions uh, to your users and without giving them any context to see how they will use each of them solution to, to see which one is, is fits the most. Yeah. In- okay. No, thank you for answering that. Uh, that was the last question on the fireside uh, side. So thank you. Um, I think I think we're good, uh, Jean. We'll wrap it up. So thank you so much for uh, coming on our show and uh, sharing your wealth of experience. And 
as always, thank you to our listeners for constantly tuning in and supporting the show and following us on LinkedIn and YouTube. So thank you, Jean. It was a pleasure having you on our show. Pleasure too. Thank you very much. And, uh, and I hope your listeners enjoyed a bit of uh, useful advice. Mm-hmm.